Hi, everybody. This is Dr. Randy Bach. Today is January 5th, 2022. It's a new year. Uh, welcome to the new year. I hope you're enjoying it. Uh, four or five days down. Um, I've found some interesting things to talk about tonight, and uh, I was privileged to be at a lecture online uh, by Professor Norman Fenton. He is a uh, mathematician, British. Uh, I think, believe he's uh, currently uh, a professor of risk information management at Queen Mary University of London. He's also director of Agena, A-G-E-N-A, a company that specializes in risk management for critical systems. And I was uh, very much fascinated by his uh, lecture on Tuesday uh, at um, pandata.org. And he presented a very clear-sighted view, which I uh, will take a stab at uh, reproducing for you. I'm hoping to get him actually on the show at some point, uh, but he hasn't responded yet. And I, I thought the information was crucial enough to bring uh, to your attention uh, right now. And uh, um, I'm going to do my best to be a very much imperfect interlocutor of his information. And uh, I... Um, I hope I do a reasonable job, a faithful job of, of presenting it. Uh, a lot of what he said was in accord uh, with uh, things I presented here, uh, but he does so uh, quite succinctly. And um, and he, you know, he's a mathematician. He's done a lot better analysis than I can present to you, and it's much more organized. So uh, without uh, further fanfare or, or delay, I'd like to uh, get to his slide set. <laughs> First one here uh, is actually blank. I, I'm going to uh, go, go backwards one and uh, give his uh, introductory page. Um, that's who he is, what he looks like. And um, I, I uh, you know, you can read what, what kind of drove him to, um, to get into this. Um, so we've gone, uh, you know, very rapidly uh, to, you know, thinking that science uh, means, you know, kind of an open debate uh, and trying to figure out what things are and how to um, reproduce them. Um, you know, generally speaking, science has two basic uh, definitions. One is the body of knowledge and the other refers to the scientific process, which uh, only validates uh, the winners and losers through uh, repeat experimentation. You know, if you watch the NFL, the NBA, you can find the champion because uh, they have to go through the other teams. They have to kind of battle. And it may not be perfect every year. It may not be the best team wins the championship, but it's certainly not the worst team that wins the championship. And they go at each other um, tooth and nail, oftentimes for, you know, seven games in the World Series or, or basketball and whatnot. And uh, the, the final answer uh, comes through a, a fair amount of work and effort. It's not enough just to pronounce the winner at the beginning of the season. You can't say, oh, well, LeBron James is on the Lakers. Uh, you know, definitely they're going to win. I mean, they did a couple of years ago, but not now. And uh, how, do you, how can you tell if LeBron James is not quite up to snuff or his team isn't? Well, you have to play, you know, 80 games, and then you, uh, you play, uh, you know, another 20 uh, games afterwards uh, and so forth. And, you know, Tom Brady, is he the greatest player ever? Well, he very, may very well be might not be might have just been lucky but year after year if you prove yourself uh, then you percolate up towards the top the same has to be uh, true uh, with science so it's not enough just to state things you have to um, have them um, kind of go through the same uh, you know trials and playoffs that that uh, sports players do 
and that's how we figure things out. Um, so I'm just going to kind of go through uh, um, some of the things he was interested in. He's uh, interested in uh, censorship and cancellation, uh, problems with the data, and then uh, vaccine effect, efficacy and safety. And any of these um, can get you, as it were, canceled these days. So I'm going to uh, try to bring these up to the fore. Um, so I think he's talking about his own respect within the scientific or, or um, analytic community as a professor, um, respected, and then he's been censored and canceled. Um, and I, I'm, I'm not going to be able to go through, you know, in, in vast detail, everything on his slides because they're not my slides. But here you can see uh, the complications, uh, figuring out patterns within COVID because there are a lot of um, uh, you know, complicated factors going on. There might be different scenarios, different places at different times and different, um, you know, situations in one place as time goes on. Um, so, uh, you know, we, we oftentimes compare countries, but there are a lot of different things going on in those countries we have to pay attention to. So I'm going to breeze uh, through uh, some of these. Um, you know, some places uh, infection rates were higher uh, than widely reported and the fatality rates were lower. Um, you know, obviously in China, you know, there's been, you know, not seemingly actual data. Uh, there might be places where they have bigger concerns than COVID and they may not be emphasizing uh, the uh, testing. Um, you know, the parts of, uh, you know, Africa where, you know, bigger problems are getting fed and uh, doing actual commerce and maintaining rule of law than getting multiple COVID tests when you're not sick. Um, so in, in uh, Mr. Fenton, Professor Fenton's case, uh, he showed early on that the, um, uh, the disease was far less lethal than was being reported. To him, you know, for this, we owe him a debt of gratitude. Um, and uh, uh, he did you know, extensive research into COVID risk factors and symptoms um, and clinical pa patterns. And you can stop any of these slides and look at them but I'm not going to be able to speak to them uh, directly. Um, and he actually made a, a personalized symptom tracking and risk management app, uh, which I can send a link for uh, later on. Uh, maybe you can read it from the slide as well, but I'll, I'll put a link up for that separately. Um, I think this is very useful. I've you know, oftentimes mentioned that uh, COVID, coronavirus, uh, COVID-19, Wuhan flu is a bimodal illness. Um, there are two separate types in a sense. It's the same virus, but the way it affects people elderly and or with significant comorbidities, that is other illnesses, um, is vastly different from how it you know, deals with people under 50 who are uh, healthy, uh, not taking any medication, so forth, for which, you know, for whom it's really uh, kind of a, you know, maybe a, a cold uh, or nothing. Uh, for kids, mostly it seems to be absolutely nothing. Um, they don't harbor the virus very long. They don't uh, carry much of it. Uh, they have, you know, gone within a day or two. Um, but it has, certainly hasn't been treated that way. It's been treated as a big societal menace. Um, and uh, so, you know, Professor Fenton uh, exposed flaws and reports about uh, certain COVID risk factors. Um, and in order to do this, you kind of have to look at big data sets. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to go over all his work here, but again, you can stop at any point. Um, uh, it became clear uh, from about September 2020 that the um, entire COVID narrative was being driven by the fundamentally flawed approach of equating a COVID case 
with a positive PCR test. This is something we've discussed here multiple times. You know, for the course of, of modern medicine, say from the late 19th, 19th century on, a case uh, was simply, uh, well, was, was when you have something, uh, you're exhibiting symptoms, you have a problem. You know, a case of lymphoma um, is when you, you know, are diagnosed and you have the thing, you know, circulating or sitting in your system someplace, a case of cancer, a case of, uh, I don't know, uh, um, peritonitis, a case of, you know, gallbladder disease. You know, we all have gallbladders and we might all have the potential to get gallstones. And probably there's a presence of gallstones and, you know, maybe 30% of women over uh, 45 or something like that. But you don't say they have, you know, a case of gallstones unless they become a problem. Um, I mean, you might notice them. Uh, so this has become a, a you know, a, a vast uh, change in the way we uh, address problems by, by deciding that a case is, a, is a, something for which we see a positive test. Um, uh, let's see if I can kind of go over this a little bit as well. Um, so things got worse um, when there was exposure of uh, government data. I just want to go back to this uh, other slide here. Um, so in, in this case, uh, you know, if you just look at the, the, the case numbers, they go up, but the case rate is, you know, going down or staying static. So we're seeing this now. We're seeing a, basically a case-demic where we're doing a lot of testing. So we're noticing a lot of cases, but a lot of these people would have been asymptomatic. So we didn't have as much testing as we have now. Uh, we would see pretty much the, you know, the, the case rate, the blue line is, uh, you know, not changing that much drastically, but the case numbers, uh, the orange line are going up. Um, what proportion of people uh, with COVID do not get symptoms? So this is something uh, that uh, uh, Professor Fenton worked on. Um, and he also started to look at uh, the claims of vaccine efficacy and safety. Uh, and again, here are a few titles of works he's done. You can uh, reference these. Um, he uh, did manage to get a letter into the American Journal of Therapeutics. Uh, this is the only exception to the kind of, you know, censorship ban um, from his, of, of his work into, you know, kind of the mainstream journals. Uh, the, you know, the major medical journals that, you know, we always looked up to and respected uh, such as the uh, Lancet and um, uh, uh, New England Journal and so forth, they have uh, come down somewhat politically um, uh, on one side. And so this is, again, not science. This is politics, uh, propaganda, agitprop, whatever you want to uh, talk about. So he was able to get in a letter to the American Journal of Therapeutics, which is a decent journal, but not one of the you know top five, 10 journals on earth uh, medically uh, with the largest readership. And he um, talked about a meta-analysis of ivermectin effectiveness. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, they, you can, you know, look through his other uh, stuff insofar as you can stop and, you know, click on one of the things we've had here. So what are the problems with the data? Um, well, again, it, it goes back to things I've said before. It's like how you define things. Um, so, you know, if you... Uh, define uh, an infestation uh, of your house. Let's say you work in the uh, termite business or the uh, insect 
you know, business getting, you know, pest control or whatever. And you define infestation as one ant uh, within a house. You know, there'd be like PCR testing. You know, if there's an ant in your house, uh, is that uh, a case of infestation? Well, generally speaking, it has to be a certain number of them. They have to be doing damage. They have to be eating away. They have to be making the place, you know, potentially susceptible to, you know, more extensive damage if you don't get rid of the problem. But we are defining these downwards. So if you ran the uh, pest control business and you were selling the, you know, pesticide or the, uh, you know, the big smoking your house or whatever to get rid of them, uh, and you made a profit by that, you might very well, you know, decide that every house in the neighborhood has either a termite or an ant problem based on finding one of them or one nearby or one that might come to your house uh, because, you know, a house down the street had one and, you know, how fast these things can travel. So, you know, what we're seeing right now is a lot of kind of uh, uh, the game of, you know, tag uh, where people are, are not necessarily even those who should be tagging. A lot of times they're just, uh, you know, I heard somebody was positive. One of my son's friends was positive at school, so I'm going to withdraw and so forth. Anyway, we, we get a little bit of these definitional issues uh, currently. Um, so in uh, in this case, um, you know, Fred has no COVID symptoms, tested positive for PCR test. You know, uh, is, that a, is that a case? Um, uh, Fred's cast, classified as a COVID case. Um, uh, I guess I, I had to go back a little bit. Um, so he doesn't go on to develop any symptoms, but um, but 13 days later, he's critically injured in a car crash and dies two weeks after being taken to the hospital. So literally, in this case, Fred is classified as COVID, a COVID hospital admission and a COVID death. You know, why does that happen? Well, um, Professor Fenton's in the United Kingdom. I'm not sure how they manage things there, but here hospitals get something on the order of a $30,000 stipend uh, for treating uh, COVID cases I think if they make it to the ICU, but maybe just in general, I think there's maybe a gradation of, of the amount they get. Uh, if they get on a ventilator, there's, you know, I mean, there's basically certain prizes uh, they get um, if uh, the cases are you know, graded out as COVID. Uh, so this has been an absurdity. Um, so here's uh, um, you know, another case, Jane um, gets a COVID vaccine and 13 laters, 13, days later test uh, PCR positive with symptomatic uh, COVID. Um, uh, she is classified as an unvaccinated COVID case because they don't classify you as vaccinated until, until a couple weeks occur. So the people who are getting uh, COVID vaccines and having complications within a few days from the vaccine potentially, uh, these are not seen as vaccine complications in a medical uh, sense, in a, in a statistical sense. And we have another case here. Uh, Peter uh, gets a COVID uh, vaccine and dies the next day from an adverse reaction to it. Peter is classified as an unvaccinated death. Again, because it's not seen that the vaccinated vaccine, you know, had its two weeks to become effective as a protection, but it may very well have done its damage early on. So we're getting into issues about how things are classified. And, it, you know, it's, there's um, GIGO, I'm sure you've heard of, uh, G-I-G-O, garbage in, garbage out. So if you put the wrong uh, qualifications and classifications in to begin with, well, it shouldn't be shocking that you're going to get the uh, wrong answers uh, later on or potentially the answers you want based on what you input. Um, so the key metrics. Um, so 
number of, of COVID cases, uh, number of hospitalizations, um, and number of COVID deaths. Um, so these things should be easy to define, but they are defined differently um, by you potentially, or if you were running things, than from than by the people who are actually running things. So as we look, you know, saw um, in the other slide, you are uh, potentially a case of COVID if you're, you know, having if you're in the hospital with COVID, but not you're necessarily there because of COVID. Uh, we're seeing this a lot now because they're testing broadly uh, in the hospital, uh, maybe to you know hunt out uh, and find the uh, treasure uh, of federal payments and so forth. Uh, possibly because they want to make sure, you know, they can quarantine people, will give people the benefit of the doubt. But a lot of people are in the hospital and getting tested and they show up positive. And then their whole case kind of gets flipped around from whatever the peritonitis or gallbladder disease they might have been in for into a coincident COVID case. So their symptoms can get conflated with that. Uh, we don't ha necessarily have a real good answer for this, uh, except, you know, better analysis. You know, when we see deaths, um, listed uh, every day I check my uh, weather <laughs> or every other day or something. And I always see number of uh, cases, number of deaths, number of deaths are minuscule compared to the number of cases and minuscule compared to the number of people who die ordinarily anyway. But we never see these data uh, parsed out. Um, you know, I, I believe that the, um, the median death in the United States is you know, around 82 years old or something of that sort between 80 and 82. And I think uh, the vast majority of cases have about four comor comorbidities, other illnesses on the order of diabetes, cancer, and so forth. And especially amongst the younger uh, people who've died, I think uh, under 20-year-olds um, have had, had there been only a few handful of deaths at that age group. And I think around the seven or eight uh, deaths that he's um, um, in the, you know, I think mentioning in the UK uh, had coincident uh, severe life-threatening illnesses that would have had them pass within a year or two uh, anyway. So, you know, end-stage cancers and so forth. Um, uh, so, you know, how many of the cases are actually symptomatic? How many of these are hospitalized for something other than COVID? Um, how many, got you know, got COVID after hospitalizations? How many of these died with rather than from uh, COVID? We're never told these. So I, I salute Professor Fenton for the uh, uh, cool slides and, uh, you know, bringing this uh, to our attention. Uh, the um, uncertainty of the data is even worse because everything is based, as I said before, on these kind of like newly defined cases as just, you know, something that's positive for PCR. If we'd been doing this uh, for, you know, common colds before, I mean, maybe we had never been out of lockdown, you know, for the last, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, PCR is relatively new, so we can be thankful that uh, at the founding of our country in the first you know, a couple hundred years, we didn't have PCR testing because I think these things can be used and they can be misused. Um, so there's different categories, you know, has virus with symptoms, uh, has virus, but you're not quite symptomatic, uh, has virus, but never uh, gets symptoms, no virus, but has symptoms, uh, no virus and no symptoms. Uh, when we do positive test, when we do testing, uh, we can get people who are falsely positive. And Professor Fenton will go um, into the difference between true positives and false positives. Here, they're kind of drawn, but uh, the, the fraction of which we get uh, depends on the background uh, likelihood of that um, illness. Um, that's a little complicated, but a mouthful. Hopefully, uh, we can uh, make uh, this clear. Uh, so, 
you know, is it a genuinely, truly positive case if somebody has the virus but never exhibits symptoms? This is pretty much what we're seeing with Omicron now. It's uh, kind of a nothing burger. Um, and, you know, as I've mentioned before, most of these viruses, you know, if there's no animal reservoir, not most, I think all viruses, if there's no animal reservoir, it's just going to be passed from human, has to, you know, make itself milder so it doesn't knock down its host because it doesn't have another host, another animal from which uh, and to which uh, it can, um, um, you know, kind of incubate and get strong and, and knock us down. So it, if it doesn't, if it only has us, it can't kill our host. You know, it's like your dog, your cat, every now and they get a little bit feisty and so forth, but they, they never really bite the hand that feeds them um, because, you know, they, I, mean, I guess they'd be powerless, locked in the house and so forth. So there's no reason to do that. Viruses don't have brains. Uh, but their behavior in a you know gross sense is similar. If there's no other recourse for them, they will literally die out insofar as insofar as viruses are alive in the first place if they don't have you and your neighbors. So to knock you down and, and put you down in bed for three or four days, the virus may very well die with you if you die and may not be able to be passing around as well as his viral friends who are just kind of like, you know, um, uh, being a passed around in a much lighter sense. I used crowd surfing as an analogy uh, last week and maybe the week before, um, you know, if you want to be passed around, you have to be a certain weight. If you're too heavy, you'll splat and you will uh, blot out everybody who would be passing you around. So that's one kind of virus like Ebola, but the virus we're talking about now is very communicable. So something that's highly communicable without an animal host, uh, kind of a, a, a safe place uh, is going to self attenuate. Um, so, uh, th this is going to, I'm um, going to be pass over these. I'm not going to be able to get to every slide uh, completely, but this is kind of the Bayesian view. Uh, Reverend uh, Bayes, who I think was a uh, 18th century um, Presbyterian minister in England, if I have that correct, uh, I should know because I wrote an article on it. I'll give you a reference to that later. Uh, you know, I had not uh, seen Dr. Fenton's work, but back in the early phases of of uh, COVID. Um, last in, in uh, the spring of 2020, I uh, thought the you know, Bayes theorem uh, would would factor into our reckoning of the disease and would give exaggerated numbers of positive cases, false positives essentially, at the beginning and the end of the pandemic. Why is that? Because at those times, the uh, background rate of of illness is lower, and um, it's more likely to find things incorrect when they when the the thing you're looking for is rare. Uh, the example I came up with, if I can get this right, is like, let's say you're interested in finding actual plants, not fake plants. Um, if you are hunting in Miami, um, let's say you're going to in and out of office buildings or on the street or whatever, uh, and you see a plant, you know, in a pot and what, whatnot, it's very high likelihood it's an actual plant because the background rate of actual plants in pots in Miami, a nice warm place is really high. Uh, in New York City, you go in and out of office buildings and whatnot, they're gonna be uh, you know, far fewer actual real live plants uh, because the weather's not good, we have winter. And so when you see something that looks like a plant uh, and you identify those as actual plants, if the background rate of actual plants is low, you're gonna have a higher false positive rate. You're gonna be picking out plant things that look like plants, even if you're aware of plastic plants, you're going to be fooled far more often into thinking it's a true plant in New York City than you'll be fooled in Miami, where there are more actual plants, very few 
plastic plants. I don't know if that makes any sense. There are a lot of other examples you can give. Um, the other one I think I gave was uh, uh, being a bomb detector, um, you know, having a device, you know, whether it's a, a human or mechanical or x-ray, and you are uh, testing for bombs in Kalamazoo, Michigan um, in, you know, the 1970s. Uh, there aren't any. There are very few bomb bombs going being passed around pre-terrorism and all that stuff. And versus being a bomb detector in Baghdad or Kabul or your favorite, uh, you know, kind of hotspot around the world. Um, the bomb detector, when he finds a bomb or something that looks like a bomb in Kalamazoo, Michigan, the odds are very, very high that's a false positive. In a place where there are a lot of bombs, the odds that you find true positives is higher and false positives negative, uh, lower, that is. So uh, let's see. Uh, I think I recommend you kind of stop some of these slides and look at them and so forth. I'm going to, um, you know, basically, it's kind of what I said here before. Um, so, uh, you know, if you have a, uh, let's see, false positive problem. If the false positive rate is 1%, what are the chances a person testing positive has the virus? Um, it depends on the population infection rate. If you have something that's very rare, only one in a thousand, about 10 people are going to um, have this um, in 10,000 people. So that's one out of a thousand. But since your false positive rate sounds really good, it's only 1%, but 1% of 10,000 is 100. So the odds ratio are that more, if something's very, very rare, um, your, your odds ratio are that when you find a positive identification, almost all of them, in this case, you know, almost 90%, a little more than 90% are going to be falsely positive. So this is very nicely demonstrated. Um, so here's 9.1% 9, 9 chance of having uh, the virus if the virus is very rare. Um, and the problem is similar uh, in when you're testing for asymptomatics. Uh, I'm not going to be able to spend huge amounts of time on this. Um, again, it's not my slide set, but um, the, 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 the way to kind of reduce some of these issues is to have a, a second confirmatory test because those uh, false positives uh, are not, nece not necessarily going to overlap. Um, so if you do independent testing, you can somewhat limit the false positivity. Uh, but one, one pass um, is not no, necessarily going to do this. I, I, I'm going to maybe skip over uh, this a little bit. Um, uh, but when you, this is a, a different um, issue. Uh, he was classifying cases on the um, single gene. Um, and I'm maybe going to pass over this again. It's not my stuff here. Um, let's see. Uh, so there, there are some issues with exaggeration. Um, but what we're seeing now um, is high rates of testing, and we're seeing high case rates. But as we've mentioned here um, before, this this time about triage calls, I usually look at death rate, whatever, but the severity of the illness is going down, uh, but the cases are going up. So I'm going to end that uh, segment and maybe talk a little bit about vaccine efficacy. And he, uh, Professor Fenton uncovers some very interesting items here, uh, just looking at the data. And um, again, part of this is, a, is an issue because they are 
um, testing the effectiveness by uh, measuring cases. And as we've seen before, uh, cases um, are, uh, you know, they're a problem of definition and they can vary um, in the assuredness with which you have identified a case based on the background uh, COVID or whatever thing you're looking for. As we looked in from the Bayes slide above, the fewer, the, the, as your rates go down, uh, more uh, po you know, positive tests are falsely uh, positive. Um, so there's a problem here with the miscategorization. This again, naming uh, is really essential. And you know, the way we can name cases, whatever we want, uh, the same problem exists with misnaming uh, vaccine status. So, you know, the vaccine has gotten a little bit of a pass um, for any potential side effects by virtue of not declaring people vaccinated uh, until some time limit has gone by. So the early, if you have a, a problem from the vaccine in an early stage within a few days, uh, that is not necessarily going to show up in data. And this, this skews the way things are presented. Um, so uh, um, this is the uh, UK uh, government on vaccine effectiveness. Uh, this is a screenshot of an actual uh, table. Um, in each category above the age of 30, the COVID infection rate is much higher in the fully vaccinated than in the unvaccinated. Uh, you can see it in this uh, bar chart, which was not on the report. Um, I'm going to uh, skip over this a little bit. Um, anyway, because of the uh, dependence on ill-defined and easily manipulated uh, definition of you know both a case and a fully vaccinated person, uh, it's hard to uh, trust claims about vaccine effectiveness. Uh, in Dr. Fenton's view, and I'm quoting, uh, it's much more important to focus on the only simple objective way to measure the overall um, risk benefits of vaccines, which is to compare all cause, all cause mortality of the unvaxxed versus the vaxxed, um, where the latter is anybody who has received at least one uh, instance, one injection, uh, because adverse reactions are most likely to happen shortly after the vaccination. So um, if COVID is as deadly as claimed, and if the vaccine as, is, as effective, is, a, is as effective as claimed, then um, for COVID deaths, there should be a lot more uh, in the unvaxxed than the vaxxed. But on the other hand, if the, this is again, quote, if the vaccines are as safe as claimed, then for non-COVID deaths, there should be only a few more um, in, you know, through uh, adverse reactions in the vaxxed compared to the unvaxxed. That's a mouthful. I think it, it's fairly clear, though, that the problem is is banding um, or ignoring people who have just had the vaccination had problems, including death. And by by declaring them, you know, ipso facto unvaccinated, this has skewed uh, data. So we're going to look at just deaths in general. And he does a much better job of this than I can. Um, uh, so there are uh, COVID deaths and non-COVID deaths. And amongst the vaccinated, uh, the non COVID deaths are slightly higher. Now, mind you, there are more people vaccinated than unvaccinated. So these are proportional deaths. These are proportional rates, but the group on the right is a higher number than the group on the left. I think in the UK, uh, it's probably about 70, 80% of the population is vaccinated. So the smaller differential on the right may actually exceed the uh, seemingly larger differential on the left. Um, so 
uh, all-cause deaths, um, when you do the net effect, there are actually more deaths uh, among the unvaccinated than the vaccinated. Um, uh, there should be uh, fewer deaths um, amongst the unvaccinated. Well, I'm saying that incorrectly. Um, anyway, the, the one of the what, what's actually showing here is again a slight benefit for the vaccinated, but it's hard to tell, you know, what those groups are comprised of unless they're normalized for other issues. If they're normalized for age and other illnesses and so forth, it's going to be better to uh, get a handle on whether. Uh, these uh, um, uh, data mean very much. It may be that it's significant. It may not be. Um, so again, he brings out that you need to um, kind of uh, age categorize mortality data by vaccination status. But the problem here is that uh, the vaccination status is not necessarily um, accurately determined because of the, the kind of two week or three week window until somebody's determined to be vaccinated. Um, I'm gonna probably see if I can skip through some of these a little more quickly. Um, this is all cause, all cause, cause mortality in the 10 to 59 um, year group. And uh, the mortality rate uh, seems to be uh, somewhat higher uh, amongst young people in the vaccinated group than the unvaccinated. Uh, it could be that um, these are people who have illnesses. They might be 45 years old with illnesses, uh, lymphoma, hypertension, whatever, and they are, you know, jumping out to get vaccinated earlier. And and then the, uh, the orange bunch, the unvaccinated, you know, are healthier people. So it's hard to say uh, why these lines cross over is, is you know, a difficulty um, to figure out at this point, but um, it's, you know, it's not overwhelming that the uh, vaccinated uh, do better. In fact, you know, for younger people, it seems to be the opposite. Um, so there's higher mortality rate in the vaccinated, uh, but it, like you said, potentially, you know, problem with age uh, differentiation. You really need to make things, you know, much more fine. Uh, as we get into an, you know, older age group, it looks like the unvaccinated uh, do worse. So this is again, as I said before, that that COVID is a bimodal problem. It's silly to look at the you know all of humanity and make five year olds get the same shot that ninety five year olds get. Um, so you can just read along here um, that the the peak in deaths, uh, you know, the, the the mountain you see in the orange, uh, shows up at the same time the first vaccine rollout came, and uh, same thing happens in the. Um, uh, older group, 70 to 80. Um, again, it, the, the, for some reason, the unvaccinated are, have this kind of mortality bump right when the vaccine showed up. And, you know, I think, uh, I'm not sure if he says it directly, but I believe Professor Fenton's uh, supposition is that what's being called unvaccinated are actually newly vaccinated, and they just have not been categorized as vaccinated, because otherwise it makes no sense to have a blip right at the time the vaccine was being pushed highest. Um, this is 80 year olds. Um, so why should 80 year olds should, you know, pretty much the unvaccinated should have a, the same rate of, of fatality as a vaccinated as the months go by, but right when the vaccines came out, they were higher. I think this is speaking to, uh, an issue, uh, regarding the vaccine and potentially, you know, it could be that people had had the illness, they're getting the vaccine, the vaccine's more dangerous for people who've had the illness prior. Uh, there's, uh, 
uh, ADE, antibody dependent enhancement syndrome, uh, I believe talking about which got uh, Dr. Robert Malone banned from Twitter just the other day um, and amongst other things. And so um, Professor Fenton is a mathematician, not um, um, in science or medicine per se, um, but his, his math skills are, are showing something quite interesting here. And again, it strains the same age peak. Um, so I'm going to, um, I think, go, you know, skip over some of those things. Um, and he brings on that, that, you know, when you change the, the date at which you look at the one group versus the other, that is to say, if you were to move, you know, some of the so-called unvaccinated potentially um, change their dates based on the vaccine time, you might see something different. But I, I think this is a point that I'm not going to be able to uh, push forward, forth because I'm not sure I fully understand it. So I'm going to skip over some of this stuff um, and uh, maybe cut to the chase. Uh, so let's see. Um, I think I want to maybe you know stop some of his slides here because I think we've gone on uh, quite a bit um, and maybe you know reached the end of our broadcast today. But I think the major point here is that uh, you know you can make something what you want it to be. Um, I forget which which character it is in Alice in Wonderland. Uh, I think it's Humpty Dumpty. Uh, who magically says a word means precisely what he wants it to mean in any given moment and nothing more, nothing less. Uh, it's pretty dictatorial. Alice doesn't take well to it, uh, nor should she. Uh, it's, uh, you know, you can't, well, you can't eat your cake and have it. Uh, or you, can, you, can't, you can have your cake and eat it. So those things are, you know, it's a pretty precise thing. Uh, you, you, if you, if you define things in a certain way, you're going to get the answers you want. You know, like I said before, G-I-G-O, garbage in, garbage out. Um, you know, what we really need from the data we are getting is better analysis. And the when we see uh, vaccine efficacy and we see this and that, we have to, you know, I, don't, I think it's probably too late to go back to what root cause causes are, what determines a case and what determines who's vaccinated, what's not. But the reckoning will come. These data will be parsed out in a better fashion later on, and we'll see the answers. And it's going to be a shame, a big shame, if we've kind of upheaved, turned over the, the world uh, based on, on uh, you know, people, in a sense, wishing calamity, wishing things worse on us than actually they are. Um, so I'm going to call it a day on this, I think. Uh, I will say this about that. Uh, I'm finishing, I have finished my Zika book. I'm going to be having it published and brought out probably in Brazil in February 2022, but a lot of the same things we see here happen there. It comes down to definitions. You know, what got defined as a case of Zika at the time was nothing that would be uh, defined as a case of Zika today. Ditto microcephaly. So the way these things were defined determined a pandemic that turned Brazil upside down and good fraction of the uh, tropical world as well and still, you know, holds like a sword of Damocles over, uh, you know, hundreds of millions of, of reproductive age uh, families all over the tropics um, because of the bad definition. They were defining Zika cases uh, without ever even having tested anybody for Zika in, the, in 2015. And they were defining microcephaly cases based on multiple different standards, uh, none of which were the actual factual ones for that area. Anyway, uh, these things matter. Uh, how you define something makes a difference. Um, I hope you uh, had some clarification with this. I hope I didn't uh, do too badly. And uh, I, you know, 
can't do Dr. Uh, Professor Fenton's work just as well as he can, but uh, hope that he can come aboard uh, in a short period of time. I did want to present his data in the meanwhile because I think it's really important and crucial, not his data so much as his analysis. Uh, thank you very much. I hope you have a good night. And if you want to help and support our work here, please let me know. And 